Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Now let's all give attention to the reading of God's Word. Good morning. My name is Deanne Gordon. And this morning's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, through chapter 5, verse 7. It's found on page 1,159 in the pew Bibles in front of you, if you don't have your Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. The word of the Lord. Well, we've been moving through this series on the Holy Spirit ever since the beginning of January. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot of vocabulary, I hope, that you have begun to use in your own life regarding the Holy Spirit. We started off by saying that this is probably the most neglected topic in most uh, or many evangelical churches, Presbyterian especially. And we've been looking at the many ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, who he is as the third person of the Trinity, and the ways that we can begin to depend on the Holy Spirit a lot more. And uh, today and next week, as we end the, uh, wrap up the series, I want to wrap up by focusing on, okay, what do we do now? Now that we've learned these things about the Spirit of God, what is to be our response? And today we're going to look at a negative commandment, and then next week look at the positive. Today we're talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday morning the topic is going to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's dive in and talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. Three things I'd like us to see as we leave here today. First, I want to show you just simply that the Holy Spirit can indeed be grieved. Second, we'll talk about how he may be grieved. And uh, then thirdly, we'll talk about what to do if you know that you have grieved the Holy Spirit. So first, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That's the most basic lesson we get out of this text that Deanne read a moment ago. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Look with me at verse 30. It says very simply, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
So what does this mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, let me first tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that you as a Christian can grieve the Holy Spirit finally. That is to say that you've heard of probably the unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is not what we're talking about here today. We're we're not talking about committing the unpardonable sin. Some of you have asked about that. You've asked, uh, why don't you guys talk about what is the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So that's what we're going to cover first. Um, The unpardonable sin or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a sin that Christians can commit. Jesus spoke about this unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12. He was uh, dealing with a demon-possessed man. And he cast the demon out of the man, and around him were gathered a crowd of Pharisees. And when these Pharisees saw what Jesus had done, they accused him of being filled with the devil himself. And they said that he had cast out the demon by the power of the devil. And Jesus, that's when Jesus responded to them and said that anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. So it's a a horrible sin. It is a sin that a Christian cannot truly commit, but a non-Christian can, like these Pharisees did. So what is the blasphemy as the Holy Spirit? Well, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, and we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but if you look, for example, at Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about a person who has once been enlightened and yet who rebels against the light. He commits an apostasy, in other words. That is essentially what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. It is knowing the truth. Just like those Pharisees saw Jesus cast out the demon, they heard Jesus say that he was casting out the demon by the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet they rebelled against it. They rejected it. They rejected the light. And the writer of Hebrews says that if you've been once enlightened, if you've once tasted of the powers of the good things to come, if you've once been exposed to the work of the Holy Spirit like those Pharisees had and still choose to turn away from it and say that it's no good, then there is no possibility for you to ever repent. There is no forgiveness for you. So this another way of talking about it is um, apostasy or turning ultimately and persistently away from the truth that you've been exposed to. If a person does that and does that to uh, a sufficient degree, it's got to be persistent. That is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says there's no possibility of forgiveness for that. In 1 John chapter 5, John talks about it as the sin unto death. And so that is the sin against the Holy Spirit that is unpardonable. Christians cannot commit that, but... Christians can and unfortunately do grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So what is it to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the word grieve, the Greek word lupeo, has two different connotations. And both of them apply to grieving the Holy Spirit. The first connotation is to grieve means to make someone else feel sad or to bring sorrow or pain uh, into someone else's mind or body or heart. If you've ever said to somebody, 
that hurt my feelings. You've been grieved in this sense. If you've ever said, that hurt, my, that hurt me, that wounded me, that's what we're talking about. Someone has grieved you. It's possible then to sadden the Holy Spirit, to cause him pain, if you will, to break his heart. Now, I know one of the things that we've learned about the Holy Spirit is that he is God. And we know that God is immutable. That means he cannot change. So how is it true that the Holy Spirit, who is God, who cannot change, still could become uh, sorrowful? How can you cause pain to a God who cannot change? Theologians call that the impassibility of God. James 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 17 says that God does not change like shifting shadows. And if you read in our Westminster Confession of Faith, it says that God is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. It says God doesn't have passions. Now, does that confuse you a little bit? Because it doesn't mean that God is unfeeling. No, when the confession says that God has no passions, what it means is that he is not subject to emotions like you and I are. He doesn't lose control to his emotions like you and I do. We are under the control many times of our emotions, but God being God, being a sovereign God, he is always in control of his his emotions. In other words, he doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. God doesn't have mood swings. God doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't have temper tantrums. See, that's what the Westminster divines were talking about when they said that he doesn't have passions. He's not subject to the change of passions and emotions like you and I. But he does respond to us emotionally as our sovereign God. He does truly care for us. He is sensitive to our situation. And he responds to us and our situations emotionally. The Bible says, for example, that God gets angry, that he delights, that he rejoices in various things, that he is jealous. The Bible says that God hates. It says that God loves. And here in Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says that God is grieved. You and I can indeed make God, the Holy Spirit, feel sorrowful, feel sad. I said that there are two connotations to the word to grieve. One is to make the Holy Spirit sorrowful, but the other connotation is to irritate or insult or offend or, I like this word, vex. When's the last time you used the word vex? Probably not for a while. But that's what this other meaning of the word grieve is. It means to vex the Holy Spirit. Illustration. You've been reading, I'm sure, about that carnival cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico that was floating around for eight days. One of the passengers called it a floating Petri dish. One other one called it a floating toilet. It must have been horrible. For eight days without power, they finally came ashore. They were vexed. 
by what happened on that cruise ship. They were offended. They were insulted. There's even one lawsuit already in the works toward Carnival Cruise Line. That's another meaning of the word to grieve. And so Paul the Apostle is saying here that it is possible for you and I to offend the Holy Spirit or to insult Him, not only to bring Him sorrow and pain, but to actually vex Him and irritate Him by the things we're going to talk about in just a short while. In Matthew chapter 18, you see an illustration of this vexation or this being offended. Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about a, uh, a servant who owes his master a ton of money. And he can't pay back the money. So he runs to the master and he says, Master, I'm sorry, I cannot pay the debt. And the master, being merciful, lets him off. He forgives the debt. But then this same servant turns around and talks to a guy who owes him just some pocket change. And he says, you owe me some pocket change. And the guy said, I'm sorry, I cannot pay your debt. But this this, uh, servant said, too bad, you've got to pay me or else you're going to prison. And so they took the guy to prison. And when his fellow servants heard about it, it says that they were lupeo, offended. They were vexed. They were irritated at what this unmerciful servant had done. So you see then what this meaning is of the word grieve in Ephesians 4.30. To offend or insult the Holy Spirit. Maybe we see both meanings of this uh, word grieve in this passage here. In Genesis chapter 6, this is just before the flood. And God looked down upon mankind and he saw that all of the inclinations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. And it says in Genesis 6, 6 that the Lord was, and there's our word, grieved that he had made man on the earth. And his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth for I am grieved that I have made them. So what have we learned from Ephesians 4.30 so far? We've learned that the Holy Spirit can be sorrowful. We've learned that he can be vexed or offended. Another word to add to our vocabulary is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says that we can quench him. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. So it's possible, you see, men and women, that we can quench the Holy Spirit. And mind you, as I said before, We're talking here about what believers can do. You and me, professing Christians, can do these things to the third person of the Trinity. So the question I hope you're asking is, well, how? How can we possibly do this? What are the ways then in which we believe or behave that do bring the Holy Spirit sorrow? Well, first, we can grieve Him individually. We can grieve the Holy Spirit individually when we persist in some of the attitudes and some of the actions that the Apostle Paul lists in Ephesians 4 and 5. And you heard Deanne read portions of these two chapters. In these two chapters, Paul is going through a list of things that do bring the Holy Spirit either happiness in the case of obedience or sorrow in the case of disobedience. So first of all, look at verse 25 of chapter 4. It says, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Dishonesty grieves the Holy Spirit. Lying 
exaggerating the truth. Spin. Those are things that offend the Spirit of God. Chapter 4, verse 26 says, Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Failing to resolve conflict grieves the Spirit of God. Holding a grudge or ignoring somebody instead of talking something out. Those are things that Paul would say, if persisted in long enough, grieve the Spirit of God. Chapter 4, verse 28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Being lazy, not working hard, cheating, being greedy with your possessions, not giving God his tithe. Those are things that grieve the spirit. And then we get to the verse I was telling the kids about. Verse 29 says, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful. Isn't it interesting that when we hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ, We're not only hurting them, but we're wounding the Spirit of God who is in them. We are wounding our relationship with the Holy Spirit who has called us to live a life of love with other people. Verse 31 of chapter 4 says, Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and on and on his list goes. These are just other ways that we can take our anger out on other people, right? And when we do that, when we do that, We bring sorrow to the heart of the Holy Spirit of God. See, all these things, let me set this in a bigger context because we weren't able to read all of chapter 4. It's important to know what what point Paul is making in these chapters. Um, What he's been talking about in chapter 4 is your new identity in Christ. He is saying in chapter 4 that if you're in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, he has totally changed you. He's given you a new you. You're not the you you used to be. And he compares it to taking off a jacket or a coat and putting on a new one. And he says that if you're in Christ, you have taken off the old self with its evil desires and you have put on a new self, a new self that's been created by Jesus Christ in righteousness and holiness. So that when God looks at you, he really sees you as you are in Jesus Christ. That means that when you and I sin, we are saying, I would rather be the old person that I used to be instead of wearing this wonderful, beautiful new identity that Jesus Christ has given me. See how wrong that is to sin? You're sinning against who you really are in Christ. But uh, when you sin, what you're doing is you're trading off the new you that you really are and you're, you're putting on this old, smelly, stinky jacket, if you will. Uh, it's the old you. Imagine, if you can, the stinkiest, dirtiest, grimiest, smelliest jacket you can imagine. I mean, stuff's just dripping off of it. Uh, it, it's just offensive and you're putting that thing on. Well, when the Holy Spirit smells that, he's uncomfortable. And if you do not repent of that and take that off and put your new identity back on, says Paul, the Holy Spirit is grieved and he'll begin to move away because of his discomfort with this old you that he 
that he was redeemed. Maybe this would help too. We've been talking about how is it possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, let's put a different twist on that and say, how is it possible to make him smile? Now, I know I'm taking a little liberty here because the Holy Spirit truly can't smile. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. But the Bible brings God down to an understandable level. And so we might as well ask, what is it that you and I can do to make the Holy Spirit smile? And the answer is the opposite of all these sins that I listed earlier. By being honest, for example, you make the Spirit smile. By speaking the truth in love. By talking things out. By reconciling with someone you're at odds with. That makes the Spirit happy. It glorifies Him. It pleases the Spirit of God. By working hard. By giving your gifts, Matt preached last Sunday on using your spiritual gifts in the work of the Lord. By participating in the work of the church, you please the Holy Spirit. By thinking pure thoughts. By apologizing when you've wronged someone. By being patient with somebody. All of these are ways in which you make the Spirit of God happy. You make Him smile. I spoke with uh, someone in our church recently whose marriage has not been in a good place. He and his wife have really been having a struggle communicating without getting mad at each other, without blowing up at each other. And he told me that lately, over the last couple of weeks, they've really had some honest heart-to-heart talks. They've really forgiven each other. They've apologized to each other. They are moving closer. They've still got a ways to go, but they're moving closer to each other. And I was reading this passage when I heard that this guy's testimony, and I thought, That is making the spirit smile to hear of this reconciliation that is taking place in that home. Paul tells you how to make the Holy Spirit smile at the end of chapter 4. He wraps all of this up by saying, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, friends, you please the Holy Spirit by living a life of love toward other people, treating them with grace, just like God in Christ has treated you with grace. But let's not miss something important. Not only is it possible to grieve the Holy Spirit individually, but I'd be unfaithful if I didn't say that it's also possible to grieve Him collectively. That is, We corporately, as a local church, we corporately, as the body of Christ, can also grieve the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, I say it mainly because Paul is not writing just to an individual here in the the book of Ephesians. He's writing to a church. The right way to read verse 30 is actually like a southerner would read it, and that's y'all don't grieve the Spirit. It's a plural verb. It's meant to be collectively applied. So let's think for a moment about how it's possible to grieve the Spirit collectively. We together can quench His fire by mistreating each other, by being impatient with one another in the church, by our unbelief, by our disobedience to the Great Commission by refusing to share our faith with other people, by refusing to be a church that is hot on the trail of unbelievers. 
if that's our attitude, if we're complacent, if we're happy sort of being comfortable, that grieves the Holy Spirit's work among us here at UPC. Being prayerless would be another way. Being careless about worship. Trusting in our own abilities and our own resources instead of really relying upon God. Being petty. Allowing minor things to become major things. Caring more about our own comfort instead of the fact that thousands of people around us are dying and going to hell. Being proud. Being a proud church, a self-righteous church. You get the point. These and other things would be ways in which we collectively, uh, God forbid, could quench the Spirit's fire and make the Spirit sad. So what do we do about it, friends? What do we do about it? What should you do when you become aware that you may indeed have grieved the Holy Spirit by persisting in some of the things that we've talked about this morning? Well, let me give you two things you should do when you know you've grieved the Spirit. And the first one is completely counterintuitive. The first thing you should do when you know you've grieved the Spirit is believe that God really, really loves you. Why is that counterintuitive? It's counterintuitive because probably after this sermon, the things that I've said so far, you think that the thing to do is to feel really bad about how bad you've been and to fear that God is just going to slap you across the face uh, himself because he's so mad at you and to think that, well, I've just got to work back into God's good graces. And that is the absolute wrong response when you feel under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The right response is to first flee in the arms of the God who loves you. Why do I say that that's the first thing you should do? It's because of the way Paul writes verse 30. Look again at verse 30. He says... Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but he doesn't put a period there. He goes on to say, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One of the things that we try to teach here at UPC is that the indicative always precedes the imperative. The things that are true about you are what you need to think of first as you think of the imperatives. The indicative means this is who you are. And the imperative is, here is what you should do because of who you are. Now, Paul reverses the order in which he writes verse 30, but the truth is there anyway. Uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because who are you? You are one who has been sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is what happens the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He brands you as an authentic child of God. He begins to protect you from harm and from falling away. The Holy Spirit is like your engagement ring. Remember this illustration saying that one day the, the, uh, the end of all things will come and you will be united to Jesus forever and ever and you're going to have a wonderful marriage supper with Christ and all who love him. The Holy Spirit is a sign of that for you. That's how Jesus has loved you, by giving you his Holy Spirit. So don't grieve him, you see. You are so loved. You are so much the delight of God that he has sealed you with his spirit. So, so don't grieve him. See how the indicative precedes the imperative? It's not don't grieve the spirit because God's going to be really mad at you if you do. 
It's don't grieve the Spirit because God loves you so very much. Think about this. If you can't grieve the Holy Spirit, that means He doesn't love you. But if you can grieve Him, that means you love, He loves you a whole, whole lot. I was thinking about this when I looked at the morning paper one day recently. I turned to the obituaries and it was a long list of people who had passed away. But I did not grieve their passing. Now I felt a little sad about the reality of death, but I don't know those people. I don't have a relationship with them. I don't love them, so therefore I don't grieve their loss. Only love grieves. And so if you can, in fact, grieve the Holy Spirit, that proves that He loves you very, very much. Believe in God's love. That's the first thing you should do. Believe in His love. I love what John Owen said. I put this in my email last Friday. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay upon the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. So let the Lord's love be an incentive to you for holy living. The next time you want to sin, think to yourself, do I really want to break the heart of the one who has sealed me? Do I really want to insult the one who has come into my life to be the sign and seal of the covenant love of my father? And that will help you to stay in the way of obedience. The second thing you should do when you're aware that you've grieved the Holy Spirit is not only believe in God's love for you, but repent. Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is not trying harder to do better the next time. Repentance is not feeling sorry for yourself and moping around for a few days, knowing that, well, I'll sort of work off my guilt that way and then I'll feel better. That's not repentance. Repentance is admitting your sin and your weakness and turning in faith and in trust to the only one who can heal you and help you. Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Isaiah. Just go backwards to Isaiah chapter 63. I want to show you a beautiful passage, a beautiful illustration of repentance. Isaiah 63, uh, in that chapter, God is talking about his people. And he's telling them how much he loves them. He says in verse 7, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel. Verse 8, surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their savior. Verse 9, in all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But look what happens. Verse 10, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. See, they made the spirit sorrowful. They offended the spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. I said a few weeks ago that sometimes because God loves you, he will be against you in order to be for you. Sometimes he will intervene, he will do an intervention, and it's painful and it's hard. That's what conviction is all about. He will fight against you because he's fighting for you. He wants you in his 
life. He wants you in his heart. And so he will fight for you. And sometimes to you and me, it feels like he's fighting against us. And now look at the people's response in verse 11. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? And the rest of the chapter goes on to say, the people of God are looking to God with arms stretched out saying, God, we're desperate. We are sorry. We have sinned against you. It goes on to say, all our righteous acts are as filthy rags, Father. Our sins have overcome us. Where are you? Will you come back? See, this is, this is what repentance looks like. It's admitting your sin and believing that God loves you and trusting that he will come back, not because you're going to do better, but because he is committed to your good. Repent. That's what you must do. If there's one thing the Holy Spirit finds attractive, it's confession like that. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord and He will lift you up. So if you've grieved the Spirit, first thing I would tell you is don't despair. Don't despair. The way up is down. Confess your sins to God. Run from your sin. Run from your idols into the arms of the God who loved you so much. He sent you His Spirit to help you, to seal you, and to bring you home. You know, the good news is that although the spirit can be grieved, he is also easily pleased. Let's pray together. And I want you to think just for a few moments of silence about the sin in your life. Perhaps today, perhaps this week, some of the things that Paul listed in Ephesians 4 really convicted you. And you said, yeah, that's me. I have been a person with a loose tongue. I've told lies. I've exaggerated. I've said unwholesome things. I've joined in with sarcastic joking. My mind's been in the gutter. I've fallen prey to porneia, sexual immorality. Whatever it is, let's take those things to the Lord in a time of silent prayer and confess those things before the Lord. Lord Jesus, out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come, I come. Into thy gladness, freedom and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into the glorious gain of thy cross. Jesus, I come to thee. Holy Spirit, we confess the ways in which we have grieved you. And it makes us very sad that we would make sad the one who is our engagement ring. Spirit, return, come. Return to our hearts. Fire us up again with love for Christ. Renew our hopes. Help us to keep away from that smelly old coat 
and to keep wearing the new us that we are, the new identity that Jesus has died to give us. Spirit of God, renew our zeal, renew the flame of love for Jesus and love for those around us. Help our church to be on fire for God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're easily pleased, that you easily smile. God, that you love us. And we look to you to continue the good work you've begun. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-384. 3300.